Hello and welcome to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR. My name is Marco Visconti and I will be your host for the next half hour. On today's show, we're going into labor, just uh, not in the way you might think. Today we're talking about gender equity in the workplace and the perceptions and misconceptions about women as workers. We're asking ourselves what has changed for women in the past few decades, especially for those now working in traditionally male-dominated fields. Our first segment comes to us from Adam and Eve producer Sky Hindman. Sky had a chat with Tema Frank, an expert on customer service and customer experience in the digital age. In 1994, Tema published a book called Canada's Best Employers for Women, a guide for job hunters, employees, and employers. Now, more than 20 years later, Tema is updating her research by heading a survey project to gather data on Canada's best employers nowadays. Here's what Tema Frank had to say. I guess my first book, which was written a very long time ago, 1994, called Canada's Best Employers for Women. And what I concluded out of that was the best for women are great for men too, but the reverse is not always true. Okay, so my name is Tema Frank, and I run a company called Frank Reactions. And we focus on customer experience improvement. A huge element of that is giving staff good experiences. The book, Canada's Best Employers for Women, what inspired you to write that book? That's a great question. I was actually in Europe for a year and went to a conference on Euro business women and met a woman who had just written a similar book for Britain. And I thought, well, that's a cool idea. I should do that when I get back to Canada. And then when I came back to Canada, I was visibly pregnant, figured the odds of anyone hiring me at that point were pretty low anyway, so I might as well write the book. And that's really where that came from. It was nearly a quarter of a century ago, I guess, that the book was written. Uh, What were some of the challenges that women faced, and has any of that changed I think some of the more explicit challenges have changed. So at that point, it was starting to become politically incorrect to say a lot of the rude things or to bring people to strip clubs. And a lot of those things still kind of went on, but it was disappearing. Uh, Now I'd say that stuff is pretty much gone, although I was just talking to someone yesterday who had a friend who had applied for a job, was a finalist for a job at an investment dealer's. And the the boys took these young men who had been interning out to a bar, lined up a bunch of shooters in front of them and said, okay, whoever downs their shooters fastest gets the job. I, I was shocked that that is still going on, which may explain partially why that industry is still so heavily male-dominated. Yeah, it must vary quite a bit from industry to industry as well. Yeah, it does vary quite a lot. Um, And and that's why in the, the original research, and now we're looking at updating the book and in this one as well, I look at them by industry because I think it is important to see where are we at in each industry. So, you know, I expect more of a bank where 90% of their employees have been female for the last 50 years than I do of a construction company. That's not to say construction companies are okay to discriminate, but I know they're starting from a lot further back. So when I wrote that book 
20, nearly 25 years ago, I could not find any construction companies that were good enough to even be acceptable to include in the book. That's very interesting how you, you're gathering data based on the industry. And also there's a blog post, I think, on the survey website about how we do not expect perfection. Um, so it is, in fact, like some are not even good enough to even consider to be part of your list of employers for women. Well, I hope that by now every industry will be in there. I mean, I hope at least that much has changed. Um, what I have found, though, so far in in the preliminary research we've done, and I'm very grateful, actually, I've had uh, three wonderful MBA students over the last year and a half who've each done a research project to try and get this thing kick-started. And what we're seeing is women have made tremendous progress into middle management ranks, but seem to have stalled out there, by and large. So there has been much less progress into senior management. There has been much, much less project into traditionally male-dominated fields like construction. Um, again, there are more of them now than there were then, but it's still a very small minority. And also, from what it looks like, women are still at the bottom of the pay quartile in almost every job category, which is troubling. Maybe go back just a little bit and talk about how exactly you are gathering sure. data. So first I'll tell you how we approached it the first time. So the first time, and I say we at the time, it was just me. <laughs> but what we did is looked, sent out a survey to the Financial Post 500, as well as doing a lot of media relations. This was, believe it or not, to people of this generation. It was pre-internet. Um, and so we did a lot of TV and radio to try and get awareness out there. And we were asking pretty detailed questions about a whole range of policies that we believed would make a workplace a better place for women, as well as their employment equity data. So federally regulated employers like banks already have to provide this data to the federal government. So we're not asking them for anything new, and we're using the exact same structure for the others so that it'll be comparable. So what we did is we got in the survey data, then I developed a short list, and then went and did at least two focus groups in each of those companies, one with management women and one with non-management women, as well as in some cases some individual interviews. So what I found in that research was that if there was a difference between what the numbers seemed to be indicating and what the policies seemed to be indicating, and, you know, sometimes I thought, well, they're just at a beginning of a process of change. That's why it's not showing in the numbers yet, but they're doing the right things. In those companies, invariably, when I went into the focus groups, what the women would tell me is the policies are just for show. If we take advantage of those, we're dead. So for this research project, and also because now there are a lot of other best employer lists out there, which there were none of at the time, what we're doing to start with is just asking for the data. And partially that's to make it easier for them so they don't have to gather all these policies and submit that stuff. Just give us the data. Then we're going to look at the data and see, are there commonalities? So once we've got our shortlist based on the data, we will then start talking to the companies and saying, okay, what are you doing? And not just companies, nonprofit and government also. What are you doing? And then from there, I'm hoping, and this is the real challenge we're up against now, is to find the funding 
to be able to do the focus groups again, which are what bring it all to life. Right, put a kind of a face on it. So the data, by the data, you just mean the numbers in terms of who is working at the company? And where they are positioned within the company and where their pay quartiles are. So when you are trying to define a, a good employer for women, what criteria do you use? That's also an excellent question. And what I did do in the book is I also broke out lists of saying best for work family balance, best for advancement, because those often don't go together. And depending on what you're looking for as a woman, you may be more focused on one or the other, or at different times in your life, you may be more focused on one or the other. Mm -hmm. So by and large, and this is something that I think is true for men as well as women, people want respect at work, and they want, increasingly, they want flexibility. So they don't want to necessarily have to be in the office at 9 a.m. till 5 p.m., And with modern technology, there's no point in that anyway uh, in most organizations. So flexibility, things that make work and personal life balance easier, Um, things that make things like child care or increasingly elder care easier. And these are all issues that I would argue aren't just women's issues, but it's still predominantly women that those burdens fall on. And so it becomes important when you're looking at an employer as a woman. Although, you know, that said, I think one of the things that I am looking for as well now is what about organizations? How many men, and one of the things in my follow-up survey for those who make the shortlist is how many men have taken parental leave? What percentage of your male workforce? Do they feel comfortable taking parental leave? Because I don't think we're going to have full equality for women at work until we have full equality for men at at the home. How would you like to see the results of your survey be turned into concrete solutions? I certainly hope that the results will do a couple of things. One is I would like to get companies monitoring and paying closer attention to these issues all along, So, and particularly the pay issue, um, that for whatever reason, even with comparable levels of experience and education and skill, there still is a pay gap. And so I'm hoping that this research will help bring that to light and and celebrate organizations that aren't doing that. So I hope it will encourage organizations to pay more attention. The other thing, though, is once we've developed that shortlist based on the data, then looking for commonalities. It may be that there are certain types of policies or practices or leadership behaviors that maybe haven't really been discussed that much. Because a lot of the things we talked about at the time of the first book, companies have implemented at least at some level, like greater parental leaves, like greater flexibility. And yet the progress of women through the organizations is showing that maybe that wasn't the right thing or it wasn't enough. One of the challenges that I'm finding now is because there is such a proliferation of information, a lot of organizations are saying, look, we're already on a best of list. We don't, we don't have time and we don't want to bother with another survey or with more research. So there's a challenge that way of just everyone is so overwhelmed now and it's harder for them, I guess, to feel comfortable justifying making this their priority when they're already better established lists. Um, And if they don't fundamentally believe that women's equality in the workplace is an issue, 
then they won't see the benefit to doing this. Um, so I, I think that that is a bit of a problem. The flip side is, if we do manage to get the data, I think there's a tremendous appetite for it and interest in it, and it could well potentially, I don't want to say shame companies, but get some organizations at least rethinking what they're doing. That said, one of the things that I do in this book, I think the book is really about celebrating success. So I don't name the worst ones. I don't name the ones who I think have really done a bad job. Uh, you can look that up yourself. Welcome back to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR. My name is Marco Visconti. On today's show, we're exploring the perceptions and misconceptions about women as workers. We just finished listening to an interview between Sky Heinemann and Tema Frank. Tema Frank is a customer service expert looking to find Canada's best employers for women. If you'd like to find out more about how Tema is gathering data, you can visit the website for her survey project, bestforwomen.ca. Next up, we have an interview I did with Clea Glaysnap. Clea is a student taking a pre-apprenticeship program with Women Building Futures, an organization that gives women the opportunity to learn about multiple trades and to practice the basic skills needed to enter a full apprenticeship. Here's the conversation I had with Clea about why she decided to take up a trade and her perspective on how to navigate a male-dominated industry. I spent some time last summer just hanging out with a carpenter. Like I just went and went to his work for a few days just to see if I really wanted to do it. And I just, I loved being outside. Granted, it was summer, but <laughs> I loved being outside. I love building things. I love hammering things. I love using different tools and figuring out how they work and seeing how things go together and making mistakes and figuring out how to fix that and do it better next time. And I just I had so much fun. And I learned so much just in four days, so. Correct me if I'm wrong, you're a pre-apprentice studying residential carpentry with Women Building Futures. And Women Building Futures is an organization that prepares women for success in skilled trades uh, through training programs, right? Mostly right. Um, I'm not specifically learning residential carpentry right now. Residential oh, okay. carpentry is what I want to get into. Um, the program that I'm taking teaches you several different trades and kind of gives you the chance to feel things out and decide what you want to do. Mm. So what kinds of things have you done uh, since you've started the program? So we started with a lot of safety. So we did first aid, fall protection. Um, we did several different safety certificates. And I think we have like eight different safety certificates after that. Oh. Yeah. I wouldn't even, I never would have even thought of that as a part of it. Yeah. But that makes sense, right? To be able to protect yourself and other people. Exactly. A lot of them were for jobs I don't think I'll ever have like H2S alive I don't think I'm ever gonna be working in enclosed spaces where I don't want to work on the oil rigs or anything but good to know um, yeah then we went we did one week of academics which is just math and science so they prep you for the um, apprenticeship um, entrance exam so the exam that you take to get into Nate um, and then we did basic tools. We learned about blueprints. We did um, carpentry, electrical, plumbing, sheet metal, and welding, and then pipe and steam fitting. Mm. So what was it about carpentry that grabbed you and you thought, okay, this is what I want to go into? 
before I even started the program, it was what I wanted to do. I last summer I spent some time at a friend's land, and she she had like all these friends that were gonna buy it with her, and then they all kind of dropped out one by one. Mm. And she was like, "Well, I'm doing it anyway." So she bought. She has 130 something acres, and just went out there on her own, and you know, invited friends over whenever they had time, and started building her little cabin and garden and an outhouse and she just has like all the basics there and I went and I stayed just for a night but I just fell so in love and then I was I was getting ready to go into university full-time I was doing women's and gender studies and I was like okay here we go I'm gonna do it full-time and then I went on another trip just to the mountains where we were just in the middle of nowhere for three days and I was like what am I going to do when I decide to live outside in the forest? I want to build my own house. What am I going to do with an arts degree? It's <laughs> like, I know. I'll become a carpenter, and then I can do all those things that I need to do, have a career, and be outside. Was there a reason that you you were drawn to women building futures when you decided that you wanted to make a career out of that? Um, I had a friend kind of push me um, when I just mentioned that I wanted to do carpentry, but... I also like the idea of gaining basic skills in several different trades. Like plumbing was the first workshop that we did, and I have done so much plumbing since then, just like at my mom's house, at my dad's house, just around like figuring out how things work and like installing a sump pump and installing a sink. So I like I liked the idea of learning the basics so that when I do build a house or when I do renovations or whatever, that I will be able to jump in and fix something or understand how something works and yeah just be able to do a little bit of everything were you were you drawn to the fact that they specifically reach out to women was that part of it as well um yeah I think I think more of it was just being able to do everything and um it's government funded so it being free I really I mean I do like spending time with women and I thought it was kind of cool that you would get to get to spend four months with a group of women before I go into the trades, which is, you know, a typically masculine environment. Not that I mind that either, necessarily, but it is really cool just spending four weeks, I mean, sorry, four months with, there are eight, 18 of us, and mm. we're all women, and it's a really, like, powerful, warm, like, supportive group. I'm wondering then, does gender come up at all in your classes? Definitely. It hasn't. I mean, I was kind of expecting to talk like to have a classes like in classroom time talking about that. There hasn't been any of that yet. So the program's not over yet. There's been a bit on both sides, like talking to some of the women that have been in the industry for a long time. Some of the instructors, they have said a lot of things, just how much it's changed, how much more like how much better women are received into the industry. Um, also, though, their struggles. Some of them are a little bit bitter from the experiences they've had. Some of them are just like really encouraging and like, you are so lucky that you have something like this to push us, in, push you into it. On the other hand, there were some instructors that um, made sexist comments. Could you give some examples of yeah. sexist comments you've observed? Um, one instructor told me to smile and I wasn't smiling because he was making some really bad jokes and he'd made one joke that had already offended me and then he told me to smile and I was like um did you just ask me to smile like I was really taken aback and I didn't know what to say and the subject changed quickly but the next day he brought it up again and I stopped and I was like this is why it's inappropriate to tell a woman to smile like I'm not here 
to look pretty. I'm here to learn from you and you are my instructor and that is your job. And he just went on and explained how communication works. And he didn't say like, oh, I'm sorry for like he didn't apologize or anything. He was just like, well, you see, communication goes how many ways? How many ways does communication go? Three ways. And he just went on this like long explanation about something totally off topic. And I was just like, well, thanks for acknowledging that. And then another guy was he was teaching us power t- about a power. No, first a handheld tool and then about a power tool. And so when he went on to the power tool, which was it was the same tool, just powered. And he was like, now this one was invented for women. And the woman sitting across from me was like, um, isn't that sexist? Wouldn't it just be for like weaker people? And he's like, oh, well, that would include men in that, wouldn't it? And I was just like, um, you are teaching a class full of women. We are here to learn. Like, why do you think it's appropriate to make comments like that? And he's like, oh, well, it makes me feel good. And I was like, wow. Well, <laughs> it's not funny. And he just kind of like tuck his, tucked his tail in between his legs and was like, oh, well, I'll try to remember that. And based on what I had heard from the week before and what I experienced in the rest of the class, he really toned his comments down. And I caught him a few times. Like I could see he was like where he was going with his sentence and he would like pull back and turn it in a different direction and like take gender out of it. So that was that was really empowering. Yeah. Like, yeah, because I was going to ask if you felt like you, you could address it in the classroom. And I think that's really good that you, you did, because that can be scary <laughs> sometimes. It can be, especially sometimes I'm just so taken aback by what people say, and I don't know how to respond to it. And it was really helpful that that other woman spoke up first, because I was just like, yeah, I don't even know how to start. <laughs> Does that make you wonder about the kind of work culture you might find yourself in once you're done? Definitely. And I think it would be a lot scarier to call out somebody that has hired you than it is to call out somebody who is your instructor for one week, you know, um, in a program specifically for women. But like I said, I worked last summer with a carpenter for four days and I worked only with men and the only comment in that entire time that remotely addressed my gender was somebody said, yes, sir. Oh, sorry. I mean, yes, ma'am. And the rest of it, like nobody nobody touched on that subject they were just like have you used this before no here's how you use it like so I have strong hope that I will be able to find somewhere to work where it's going to be encouraging and fun yeah it's it's some ways it's it's easy to say like oh the people in this industry think this way but it feels like these issues like misogyny is so widespread that you know it's Mm -hmm. just like you know, you're going to meet men in all kinds of areas and all kinds of fields that will still have those same ideas. But it's funny that in a classroom aimed specifically for, you know, preparing women for success, you'd encounter these ideas from that a professor. That was a frustrating like, That's supposed thing. to know better, right? <laughs> no. And, and I was talking about it actually to one of the other instructors, and she she has been in the trades for a really long time, and she's like, well you know, like, this is just how men are that have been in the trades for a really long time. And I was like, I can't, I couldn't believe that she'd said that. And the very next week after she'd made that comment, we had two men that were the same age, like, like retired um, tradesmen that had 
like the same age as the guy who had made the comment about the power tools. And they were the most wonderful, charming people, so encouraging, like took every extra step to help you. And just like this totally contradicts the whole, oh, well, they've been working in the trades for a long time. So that's just how they are. And I was really I was really disappointed to see that to hear that come out of that woman's mouth because she seems like a very strong, capable woman. And I think maybe she's just dealt with a lot and has figured out how to make it through the trades in her own way. Do you feel like there's less pressure now than there used to be for like a woman who wants to do something that's not, you know, traditionally not feminine? My welding instructor said that she had a lot of experiences like that. Like, what's this woman doing in the workshop? And one thing that we've heard a lot is women have to work a lot harder to be recognized and respected in the workplace and she said that she worked like twice as hard as everybody else and if there wasn't anything to do she would find something to do she would clean she would always be working like always moving just to prove that she was good enough whereas everybody else like all the all the men could just kind of do their jobs and do them well enough and although on the other hand a lot of a lot of the instructors and like guest speakers that we've had of also said that women are specifically very good at the trades because they, partly because of that pressure, because we have to work harder to be recognized, and partly just, I mean, it's, it's stereotypes, but that women are pay more attention to detail and are, women are perfectionists, and we're harder on ourselves, so if I make a mistake that I'm supposedly more likely to fix that and like to make it better, whereas men and again these are stereotypes but men are more likely to just be like oh that's good enough so I don't know I don't know how much of that is true but it's something that I've been told a lot in this class and I'm definitely hard on myself (laughs) (laughs) how do you feel what like when you hear that that pressure almost getting spinned into uh, a positive in a way I don't think that the pressure is, is made to sound positive I think they're more warning us, like, mm. you have to work hard, like, you're going to have to work harder than than others. Um, and I think that the being hard on yourself is more just like a, a trait that women are more likely to have. I, I want it to be perfect or I'm not happy, especially when I'm learning, which is the worst time to have that, <laughs> to have that mind frame, but... like there to be um, a class in your program that would kind of talk through these uh, these communication issues, I guess, like um, how to deal with the work culture and what your resources and options are within a workplace? Do you think that would help people uh, as they're getting trained? One, one person I was talking to, their response was just, when I was, I was complaining about some of the sexist comments and they, this person just kind of responded with, well, there you go. Now you're getting a little bit of a taste for what the trades are going to be like, and that was like that was really disappointing because I think, as as a program meant for women to, you know, help support you go into the trades, it should be very like, no, that's not okay. And, um, so yeah, no, absolutely, I would like there to be a class about that, or like, I, I mean, I don't know how you would make a class of, how, like, this is how you stand up for yourself, or this is what you're going to deal with. I'm not sure. Or maybe, yeah, it could be, I think resources is one key point. Yeah, like, you know, right. here are the 
organizations put in place to help you. Here's yeah. how you <laughs> can interact with them and ask for help. But I also think there should be in every field training around like cultural competency. So like yeah. just like how do you communicate with someone across a, a difference that you have, um, those inherent differences or differences yeah. of that you choose, uh, that's so valuable, especially if you are working towards change in an industry. Um, do you feel like you'd have the tools to, you know, shift a work culture that's not quite comfortable? I think shifting an entire workplace sounds like a really daunting task. But I think, I mean, I I am definitely one to to try to say, no, you can't talk like that to me. But, yeah, yeah, no, it would really depend on the workplace. I'm going to try. I'm going to definitely yeah. try. No matter where I am, I'll be trying. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Welcome back to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR. My name is Marco Visconti. We just finished listening to an interview I did with Clea Glaysnap about why she wants to become a carpenter and her thoughts on how women are viewed in the trades. Clea is currently taking a pre-apprenticeship program with Women Building Futures, an organization that aims to empower women in Alberta to pursue careers in the trades and to promote safer and more inclusive work environments for people already working in the trades. If you'd like to learn more about their programs and their mandate, you can visit womenbuildingfutures.com. And that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, my name is Marco Visconti, and Adam and Eve will be back in two weeks' time with more Feminist Radio. So long for now, and have an excellent Adamant evening. <laughs>